Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only, right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. With one of the best savings rates in America, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than choosing Slash to be in your band. Next up for lead guitar. You're in. Cool. <laughs> yep, even easier than that. And with no fees or minimums on checking and savings accounts, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank for details. Capital One and a member FDIC. Welcome to Let It Roll, the podcast about how and why popular music happens, hosted by Nate Wilcox. Follow the Let It Roll podcast on Twitter at Let It Rollcast and check out our website at LetItRollPodcast.com. Let It Roll is a Pantheon podcast and you can listen to more great podcasts at www.PantheonPodcasts.com. Nate uses AKG microphones and headphones. Today, Nate returns with his cohorts Eugene S. Robinson, lead singer of the art punk band Oxbow, and veteran entertainment attorney Alexi Auld to continue their discussion of Netflix's hip-hop evolution. This week, they look at the Southern Lab, which covers Houston's DJ Screw, the 3-6 Mafia from Memphis, and Atlanta's Lil Jon. Pop in those earbuds and enjoy. time to let it roll. I'm your host, Nate Wilcox, and we're back again with Alexi Old and Eugene S. Robinson to continue our discussions of Netflix Hip Hop Evolution documentary series. This week, we're covering Season 4, Episode 2, The Southern Labs, which looks at DJ Screw from Houston and DJ Spanish Fly and the 3-6 Mafia from Memphis. Fellas, general thoughts? I have to tell you, this made me happier than any, almost any of the other ones. <laughs> before you know um, you know at one point hanging out with the butthole surfers and they said I think it was Paul who said I want to be the richest song maker in the history of songs I go, well, what are you talking about I said well everybody writes a lot of notes and if you break it down to the per unit cost you make nothing he said I want to write three notes and make tons of money off of it I go, I go like what are you talking about he goes buy menin nabisco I was like, fuck yeah, okay, yeah, you're right. So when I look at little John and, and little, he goes like, somebody even said in, in it, he goes, they weren't even rappers. And they, they you kind of realize these guys actually aren't rap. I mean, they later incorporated rap into it, but they weren't a traditional hip hop kind of rapper. They were like, it was just something else completely different. And the guy was like, it, it was just a punk rock ethos, which he credits Right, he says bad brains, and he mentions minor threat. But a punk rock, he's like, I can't play an instrument. That's not going to stop me. I can't sing. It's not going to stop me. I can't even rap. That's not going to stop me. Yeah, it just, yeah. It just made me so happy. It was. I'm. I've actually been flying high since I watched this one. So well, excellent. And I should have mentioned it also includes Little John from Atlanta. But 
in this first half, we're going to focus on Houston. <laughs> and Memphis. Right, well, D, so. also DJ Screw. When I was at actually at uh, I was on at a festival somewhere, and all of a sudden somebody said something like "Chop and Screw," and it was so evocative it stuck in my head. I looked it up figured out it was fueled by cough syrup and I, it all of a sudden made 1977 and Times Square make sense to me because some guy offered me, he's like, you know, pot, weed, coke, you know, up is down. I go, no, no, no. He goes, I got girls, I got weapons, I got no, no, no. I got boys, I got no, no, no. He goes, I got Robitussin. I go, whoa, wait a minute. Why would I buy Robitussin from you when I could just go to the group? And he goes, maybe they don't sell it to you, but I could get you some. And I was like, people, it's, I don't have... <laughs> I'm not sick, but then when I found out these guys were taking rope with us and chopped and screwed, I sought it out, and uh, and so I, I've always felt like I had a personal connection to uh, to chopped and screwed, and I, I like the music actually. It makes tons of sense to me, much more than like a lot of techno, which is also drug fueled music too. So different drugs. And Alexi, you know, thoughts I on... had never listened to any of any of the music in the first episode at all. Right. Mm. So it was the second one, you know, that's why I made a little John, you know, uh, uh, I, could, I could sound like little John because I heard of him. But that's the second episode. But the first part, totally unaware. I mean, the thing that was familiar was uh, one of my good friends at law school was from Houston or from Humble, Texas. You know, so he, you know, the whole notion of driving everywhere. I mean, we prevented a date with yeah. because he drove yeah. everywhere and had had a. Uh, a potential rapist and the woman he was trying to rape like walk blocks to his car to kind of you know get her back into the things and put the guy in the back seat and you know like just walk around and drive around mm -hmm. and walk around and drive around and drop the guy off at his house by himself it's like okay man peace out so you know that whole culture uh was familiar to me but the, the fascinating thing is kind of like what eugene was saying is you know there's some episodes where i just I'm not familiar with the music at all, or maybe passively hearing about it and just can't really connect or relate. But what was fascinating about this was even having nothing to do with the scene or the music, you got such a flavor and a sense of the scene and the music and what they were feeling. And it wasn't quite, even though it was like local yokel to a certain degree, you know, in terms of this, the scene, it, seem to have more going on than some of the other like local yokel scenes that they tried to focus in on so it was a really interesting refreshing difference you know from the kinds of things they normally will have in it and it was sort of amazing to me because out of the cities i've been in in, in texas and i've been in like almost every major one with a name uh houston was really my least favorite <laughs> i just really didn't like it i just didn't it was like you know i mean i like san antonio better than i like houston mm -hmm. um and so it was interesting that, that you know the why is that what do you like out, about houston i don't know man it just felt freaking dangerous to me and unclean mm, <laughs> know, you know? that's pretty apt <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know i mean and also you know my experience is based on like playing shows there so i don't know i just didn't you know my i had my my my, my most favorite time actually in dallas um and i think that's because i came close to actually maybe having sex <laughs> well someday maybe you'll get to he almost gave that. the big d <laughs> he almost gave the big d and big d president's dead uh, yeah yeah the thing about houston is it's an enormous enormous city yeah. that you have to drive everywhere and it's actually a bunch it's dozens of little cities is what it really yeah. is there's yeah. there's all these different worlds there and it's really hard to get to find like i've been to houston hundreds of times and it was only from seeing these tapes at gas stations at first that i was yeah. like you know what is this and then hearing some friends of mine start to play it in austin and it was like immediately like what the fuck is this with the the, the draw and the, but the deep bass voices and everything instant appeal and yep. i gotta admit i've got a taste for the tussin so <laughs> it, <laughs> it wasn't like used to when i'd get a cold and cold and flu season and there would always be this lingering hangover of extended 
extraneous tests of drinking that you know but i drink the kind that had the dmt in it which will make you hallucinate which is a terrible so if you were with if you were with eugene then in times square and he's like in robitussin and they and and eugene's like and they're like wait a second hold on for a second (laughs) no 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 no, no. it's 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 stopped me it stopped me because you know because i couldn't figure out why i would buy it from him you know this was a high i had missed but it's um, the coding you gotta have a prescription for the good stuff yeah, codeine is good, but you know the, the problem with it is any of those things like Nyquil. Uh, they have something that is bad for your prostate. I'm sorry mm. about the cat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's something dangerous. But the other thing about DJ Screw was there were so many bootlegs. The first DJ Screw CD I got my hands on was not a DJ Screw CD. I found out later. Like mm-hmm. I thought, oh, this is so cool, and I was showing it to somebody who knew what they were talking about. They were like, dude, this yeah. is not. You, you got know. screwed, but wasn't DJ Screw? Exactly, because because Screw isn't just slowing stuff down; it's chopped and screwed. I mean, he's yeah. he's he's doing a lot of mixing and and you know really intricate stuff. I mean, to me, I love this episode because it's it's heavy on the regionalism, and it's heavy. I knew about Screw, but I'm from Texas, but the the Memphis stuff was totally new to me. DJ Spanish Fly is just a hoot and a half, you know, yeah. and and this whole economy of underground mixtapes that was so lucrative because people were not playing hip-hop on the radio so if you wanted to hear jay-z or puff or biggie you had to buy these mixtapes and then these guys would get in there and mix do some mixing on it themselves and add their own songs and and, Mm. you know in screw's case totally changed the flavor and so it's like it's so weird it's like the whole city of houston was getting their hip-hop through this filter or the whole southern part of houston through this filter that was totally demented and insane i mean screws a genius you know and and imposing the sonic vision on it and also the volume of money that they were turning over with these cassette sales like as a former punker you never thought shit you know i mean it was it was forced you know trying to give the shit away but with with this stuff these guys are you know putting out these crappy maxell tapes yep. with a, a stamp on the label and 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 you know banking so uh and also the fact that that's totally gone yep. the internet has wiped out all these little regional micro economies and you know massive 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 bummer but i love this i mean this this picture of screw as this kid in his room mixing with his turntables and the world comes to him. I mean, he sells yep. a buddy a tape for 10 bucks and then, and then pretty soon he's got to set hours at his house. And, and that's, what the love, start, that's what well, I love. That's what I love. Well, he's got people like lined up around the block and then he's, he's falling asleep over the turntable. <laughs> Could have had something to do with the lean, but you know, uh, and and course, the hours and course, was and, great. <laughs> and of course yeah. it was, it was that, that literary foreshadowing where they kept saying mm-hmm. was, 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 mm-hmm. so even if you don't know the story, you're getting the sense like, I don't think there's going to be an interview with him before we get to the halfway mark. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 And, and, and that's the thing. And, and that those allusions, the references to him falling asleep at his turntables, like watching a bunch more documentaries on him. And there's a big one coming out that isn't out yet. Mm-hmm. Obviously I haven't seen it. But I think the kid worked himself to death. I, I mean, yeah. he he had codeine in him when he died, and that was a supposedly an overdose. Plus, he had pH, PCP and Valium at the same time. So he was doing a little bit of River Phoenix there. But here's a guy who's living on big gulps and God knows what kind of garbage he was eating. Who, you know, when they talk about those sessions and he'd let the MCs in, I guess at the same time he was letting people buy the tapes because they'd say we'd show up at eight or whatever, we'd drink a little lean you know, and we'd be in there till 10 in the morning the next day taping, mm. but screw would stay up after that and do his mixes on top of that. So when was this kid sleeping? You know, like the, the, and making and copies all. too. Right. And if you think about that, right. So yeah. the, what's yeah. so fascinating is how much of a one-stop shop he was. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, I, I totally could relate as a customer, like, Someone saying, "Man, don't come back, come back, come back later." You know, like come back in you know, tomorrow at 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 ten ten a.m. You know what I mean? Like it was just so funny, mm-hmm. just like how controlled it was, and the fact that again, like not this whole notion that you have nowadays of like, "Oh my God, you're gonna miss a sale if you're not around." Like you have to make adjust your hours to make sure you don't miss a sale. Yeah. And it's like, "Fuck it, the demand is there, and you're gonna yeah. come when I tell you to come and pick up my yeah. tapes." You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. and then. They soft pedaled the amount of police harassment he underwent. Mm. Like the Houston PD is infamously vicious. Yeah. And, you know, when when he had all those slabs, and that's what they call the luxury lowriders that make it South Houston, when they were lining up 
you know, for blocks around his house, the cops were all over him and they were not pleasant or friendly. And that's why he had to open up the store. And by the way, his cousin, Big Bub, wasn't that the sweetest guy? Like, yeah, he was know, great. He was great. Yeah, yeah. Talk, yeah. Talking about how he devoted his whole life to, to you know, maintaining yeah. Screw's legacy. But the other thing he said, he said, are you here until you get another job? Uh, you yeah. know, or are you here? No, I'm here for, for you know, till the wheels yeah. fall off. So, yeah. And he's still here. And, you know, yeah. and but the thing that they, um, they left out a few things I think that they should have gone into. I mean, I don't know that they had space, but. They they don't talk about how Fat Pat got murdered like two mm. two years before Screw got killed. That was his top rapper. Little Kiki and Fat Pat were his top rappers. Another thing I don't talk about is I mean you've got Paul Wall there the whole time talking, yeah. but they don't introduce him. Really, they expect you to know who Paul Wall is, and he had a number one hit in two thousand five. I think he was on the Mike Jones song that was a number one hit, and then his first oh, album yeah. went platinum. <laughs> and he's the king of grills, like. Um, uh, there's a guy Johnny Dang who who's a legendary. I think he's Vietnamese, um, Houston jeweler who's the grill merchant to the stars. But Paul Wall has his own shop, and is um, you know that I think that's where they were shooting him. But they don't give they don't tell you who he was at all, or tell you that you know him. No, and, and they don't mention Mike Jones, and they don't mention that all those guys were from the north side, and the north side's poorer than the south side, and they don't go into there's I mean there's tons to this but there was why do you think period. do you think it was time or do you think i think it was just time <laughs> no nah, I mean, it, could, it could easily be that but but I, I think it was just a lack of time but you know there was a period when the south side started getting big and the north siders started going down and jacking their cars you know mm. and then and then and the the gang war stuff was pretty ugly and so the fact that the guys who got big time famous off this were from the north side uh, adds, you know, another, another element to it. But, but overall, I mean, I love seeing DJ Screw get the rub and, and it's also something that's, he had the, the, you know, Houston hip hop was kind of the last of the Southern towns to have the big time. Like it was 2005 before they had pop hits, but now there's like a whole scene of like lo-fi video game, Japanese music fans and stuff that are way into DJ Screw. So he's, he's, cultivating this international audience mm. now of, of people that recognize, you know, that he was this massive sonic innovator. And then the show turns its attention to Memphis, which we haven't heard about Memphis in this whole series. And unlike, home of Elvis and ancient Greeks. <laughs> and, and, and yes, Egyptians. Come on. Memphis was uh, no, I'm just, Egyptians. no, you, you missed it. I'm quoting the song, man. Oh, oh okay. I'm all, talking, I'm talking always, heads. I, I always miss song quotes. You know, I'm incapable yeah, yeah. of memorizing song yeah. quotes. But yeah, so okay. Memphis, obviously, the home of Elvis and rock and roll. And uh, also the blues, B.B. King and Johnny Ace and, and Bobby Blue Bland. So there's, you know, and there was Holcomb way back in the 20s with like the Memphis Jug Band and and you got Stax Records. So this yep. incredibly rich musical city. It's not like Atlanta that was always kind of an underperformer for its size as a musical town. Memphis is one of the great American musical cities right up there with New Orleans. And ironically, Houston and Memphis were connected historically because B.B. King and all those guys, their record labels in Houston. So, uh, you know, that was a little connection. But so they give us the background on Memphis. And of course, MLK was killed there in Memphis. And, you know, like not by not by James Earl Ray. I got to get that in there. I mean, yeah, you know, like I've, I've never focused on that case, but it always just assumed that there was yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. unless he could shoot drunk and passed out, maybe that's possible. I don't know. <laughs> I think, yeah, like so- the New Orleans episode, though, that given the lack of time, that they spent a little too much time talking about the whole MLK thing. I mean, it was well, it yeah. I mean, I mean, they're trying to give the background to Memphis, though, and and that's the thing that like being superficially acquainted with Stax Records, I always had this utopian vision you know you see booker t and mgs two white guys yeah. two black guys making all this great music back in opo just ready and you think oh wow must have been a kind of enlightened town fuck no it was the most racist most brutal place so the fact that mlk was killed there is no coincidence this is a fucking shithole and they drove stacks yeah. into the ground i mean corrupt banks and all these other people um you know, even the slander that y'all repeated about elvis allegedly you know saying the only thing and no, not that. The the, oh. the the alleged quote that came out, and the oh, magazine yeah. that that came out in was like the the sub um, 
So was it Ebony that was the big premiere black magazine? Ebony in the 50s? and Jet. Yep. Jet yeah. had the, the weekly and, beauties. And this was the third <laughs> magazine that was not Jet or Ebony. And they were a notorious dumping ground for Ebony? FBI bullshit. <laughs> and so uh, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's suspected that, that somebody was down on Elvis because of what he represented for integrating people. And, the, and they got that crap out there anyway. But I think they just did that to set up that Memphis is a sinister, scary town. And and if you think Houston's scary, have you spent much time in Memphis? I have, uh, no. but um, um, yeah, we. I, I had a weird incident there, but it had nothing to do with scary. We just stayed with a guy who probably had the largest porno collection of every any human being I've ever met. And Hold at them. one point, he <laughs> said, he said, he says, "Yeah, man, you know, he's really proud of it. It filled up his entire garage." He goes, "You know, my daddy didn't give me a lot." But that's what he gave me. <laughs> so oh it's my like God. A, a family heirloom, man. It passed oh, down from awesome. father and, and son. And right behind those stains is a story. <laughs> yeah, 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 no, yeah. No shit. I remember back so, in the day, you somebody like you thought somebody was a perv if they had a big stack of Playboys in their house, you know. Like, and now yeah, you don't even know. But anyway, let's let's get to the music. So they they they, they talk about the historic Memphis music scene, and by the eighties, it's all gone. Like Stax Records is gone, Sun Records is gone. There's nothing left, no infrastructure. And there's another tape community and their local guys, DJ Spanish Fly, who I have to say, I mean, I don't, I, since I'd heard DJ Screw before, I've enjoyed listening to that for this episode, but digging up some DJ Spanish Fly, I highly, highly recommend it. It's totally eccentric. It's very old school, two live crew, Houdini style beats. His rapping is primitive to say the least but big hooks and and oh, <laughs> hooks is a stretch but repeated choruses and and it's it's swings instead of hooks <laughs> yeah, 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 it's, yeah it's just delightful i i i dug the shit out of it and i love the story the guy gets fired from the radio for playing two live crew somebody shows him how to how to mix and he's off and running making these mixtapes yeah. and, yeah. and making yeah. a buck and create another one of these crazy regional scenes so it's um and the, the, I think they were trying to build the ominousness because they're building the three six mafia, which we'll talk about, you know, in the next segment. But that shit is creepy, and it, it's it's horrorcore on beyond. And I always thought of them as a joke. I mean, did you, were you oblivious to them, Alexi? Or? Yeah, I thought they were a, a, a joke band. All those guys, I thought they, I always thought the Ghetto Boys were like a joke band too. You know, I oh. mean, it was it was over the top horror. You know, it was like you know raping hitchhikers and cutting their heads off. It didn't offend me in the same way that on Evil's Nagging, you know, the second NWA record mm, to yeah, kill a yeah. hooker. Yeah. That didn't seem like it was trying. You know, they were purposely trying to be like the audio equivalent of a of a slasher flick. Whereas the NWA's thing was just some other weird dark alley of misogyny I, you know um it, so i understood to be you know i, I cinematic is, is no way. Yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I couldn't even name you a song it just for stay it was a group that i was aware of but i didn't know any you know just if you go through the traditional ways of finding out about stuff you know i didn't know anyone that that was fucking with them didn't appeal to me so it's, it's just not a put down you know like i'm a square casual but it just never you know, uh, when, when, what, what year about did they really were they, were they hitting off? Early two thousands, as as the Scissor song was their was their big hit, biggest. Yeah, hit, I, I, I I wasn't really into hip hop at that point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was I was totally checked out at that point too. But I I was sort of vaguely aware of them. And when I've gone back and caught up, yeah, I, I was missing. But I do. I was in, I was in basement basements getting knocked unconscious. Starting my burgeoning MMA career at forty. <laughs> That's where I was twenty years ago. decisions. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, hey, hey, I was nine and two. I only got hey. not badly, savagely beaten twice. So, and a nine is an upside down six. So you know he had <laughs> had to put it upside down and. Two more, right? Nine and two, then you know six up one two. There you go. So Eugene had some kind of connection, man. <laughs> yeah, and this this gangster walk thing, like regional dances. That's, so that's another thing that's totally gone. <laughs> no, yeah. no, 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 no! Come, come on, come on! Come I love on. it, man. No, no, no! I'm watching that, and I'm going like, is somebody going to credit hardcore at any oh. point for this? 
this was a mosh pit straight up. Oh, no bullshit, man. Didn't they say it? I think they did say it. Didn't they say it was a mosh pit? Or is that no, that, Little John? Nobody said it was a, a, a Little John. Little John, they were talking pit, about it. I, I because, be because that cross-pollination had, had already happened with, like, Onyx, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, Drew, yeah. Drew, Drew, Drew yeah. Stone, who directed Onyx's video, Slam, also, he's the one who does that hardcore show. Right, that was like 95, hardcore. 96, so yeah. Yeah, so it was, and, it yeah. Was, and that was just New York, man. That was, Mosh Pits came out of New York. It didn't come out of California. You know, you had a big mosh pit in california but the whole circle going around in the circle thing that was a new york invention and i think it was just because cb's was so freaking small um mm. it wasn't in dc it wasn't in it wasn't in the midwest it wasn't in uh, boston that was new york solely and you know i just uh i kept waiting for somebody to say uh these guys were just dancing around the circle i go it's mosh pit somebody say it please say it mosh pit, mosh pit. and they didn't say it so. i think I don't know. I would like to. I would like to dive into that with somebody who actually knows, because there's uh, there's plenty of dance films were, that, that are about going in circles, and I suspect with the gangster walk guys, if somebody banged into them, somebody was going to get shot. Like I don't. Well, that's I what they said. They said there were lots of fights on the on the floors. Yeah, it, it, fit, it did, fit perfectly to me. You know? Did it have any I connection mean, to Gangsta Lean? Remember that song? This is oh, yeah. for yeah. my home is that gangster lean and that gangster lean. Well, the lean is definitely a Houston thing. I don't know how much that was getting into 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 Memphis. I did notice on the DJ Spanish Fly stuff that there was a song that was screwed up at, um, in his mix. So, and I don't. I assume he got that he'd heard DJ Screw because that stuff was getting all over. Oh. You know, like supposedly people were driving in from Alabama to buy DJ Screw tapes. Wow. But, yeah. So you know, like at some point, I'm sure it came to Memphis, but maybe he was slowing stuff down on his own. Which should, which know. also should be a colossal recognition of how failed the music industry is. <laughs> you know, <It's, laughs> that's the whole story of the history of the music industry is if yeah. anything cool happens, it was, it was an accident. It was a fluke. Yeah. It was because nobody yeah. was looking. It's because there was an underserved yeah. market, you know, and as soon as the corporations get in there, the first thing they do is shit the bed and kill all the creativity and snuff everything. Yeah. And, and yeah. you know, so, um, and, yeah, and not on pur not on purpose either, just because they're stupid, you know. Yeah, although occasionally on purpose, but yeah, generally yeah, just yeah. out of sheer What's stupidity. that saying? You get a you get a Grammy award winning, uh, no, you get a, a platinum uh, selling producer, and then you're like, well, you made a platinum record, so if you do seven records, you're gonna have seven platinum. <laughs> That literally yeah, happened man. straight up, yeah, you know, just, just, yeah. just increase your, 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 your production, yeah. increase your, 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 how much you put out. And, uh, and, and then your, you're no limit records. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> uh, uh, they, there you go. They're on. Or, or Steve yeah. Allen, right? Yeah. 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 So, the old joke you know. about Steve Allen is written over 5,000 songs. Name one. So. But um, Steve Allen. Steve Allen. The, no well, no, he had Hello Mother, yeah. Hello Fodder. Oh, yeah, right? yeah. So, that wasn't, yeah, he that didn't was, write that. That wasn't. I him. thought he did. No, that was a different guy, but I. I oh, I a challenge. He throws down a gauntlet. Well, well I don't know. I don't, I'm not firm. I'm not firm on that, but I thought Steve Allen had really, Steve Allen. Stand by so your pick, man. Come so on not, now. Not 4,000. We'll have to look that up. Will you? We'll have to look that up. Well, but, so it, we, it's either 4,999 or 5,000. <laughs> I thought I named one, but whatever. <laughs> either way. Either way. Yeah. So. We'll take a quick break. We'll be back. We'll talk about the Three Six Mafia and the the people that broke the Memphis scene nationally, and then we'll talk Little John, the punkest of the hip hop people we've talked about. Yet. Okay. And now a word from our sponsors. Tell the club, 
And let's continue our discussion of hip-hop evolution, <laughs> Southern Labs, with Memphis 3-6 Mafia. No foolishness, fellas. No foolishness. So now we segue from DJ Spanish Fly and the prehistory of Memphis rap. I mean, it's not prehistory, but it's before it becomes nationally known. <laughs> and we get into the 3-6 Mafia. And I think DJ Paul gives us a clue right away as to why DJ Spanish Fly was in there instead of, say, 8-Ball and MJG, um, who were the first Memphis group that I ever heard of getting a national or a major independent deal, but he, he's like DJ Spanish fly was my guy. So he's, he's acknowledging this, you know, direct antecedent. This, this is why I did this. This is my precursor. So, you know, then they explain how they were always in the horror movies, Friday the 13th, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Halloween, the horror core thing. And once again, it's another, narrative of mixtape selling in the 90s which is something you cannot do today like kids today are trying to to make their own music they will not have that economic boost to being able to sell hard copies of their shit because everybody will want it on the internet everybody will want it for free initial thoughts on 36 mafia mr roberts well, I, I I jumped the gun and gave mine early last week, but uh, that was just, about Little it, John more than than three six. Yes, that's true. But you know, the I I thought that they were the first ones to actually make the horror thing, um, the horror thing work. And I, I, other people had kind of tried it, and I, I just I never I never really bought it. I mean, by by which I mean, when you go to see. A night. I mean, the first ones, not the degraded sequels. But when you go to see a Hellraiser or or a Nightmare on Elm Street, those were genuinely scary movies the first time out. I mean, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the original one, you know, to- Toby Hooper's original. I mean, a lot of people were not even really sure that that the, you know the line between fantasy yep. and, and re- reality, yep. you know, and a lot of a lot of these. Like, if you, I mean, okay, I don't want to get too big in the film history, but the like Sam Peckinpah's getaway versus the updated version getaway. It's like one is like just watching a movie. The other one is like being there. And they were the first ones to kind of, you know, make and meld, you know, you know, kind of horror ethos with with what it is that they were living, which was a pretty clever two step if you start to think about all of the rappers and hip hoppers and R and B singers who are lionizing the fucking ghetto, and and that these guys kind of lay out this tableau where you know where it's not some place you know where you oh we were playing basketball in garbage cans and it was all this kind of fun nostalgic sepia tone stuff where it was just kind of stark and cold and and horrifying. I I, I dug that and I dug them actually for doing it so. Yeah, I think their their use of classical music samples, it's like they were listening to the horror movie soundtracks and, and yeah. they, that bled over in a way that like the Ghetto Boys or even Gravediggers with RZA didn't to me. Yeah. Like, yeah, and that's the first one. Creepy. Yeah. I mean, Gravediggers had, had their foot and I think the other the other groups like Eugene was mentioning uh, and, I, and you were also uh, highlighting, Nate, they had their foot in different places. You know, so for the Gravediggers, you know, the RZA was there. So he had this thing where it was horrorcore, but there was also, I mean, Wu-Tang, certain members of Wu-Tang flirted. I mean, uh, Method Man, like flirted with certain elements of, of I guess, the horrorcore and Ghetto Boys had certain elements as well. So, but there's a difference between the elements and just like embracing it. And I think that's what kind of made 3-6 Mafia, you know, stand out. And also, I think that's what made their music not as um, commercially accessible, you know, or when, you know, at the time when they were blowing up, I was in New York and uh, rolling with folks who were listening to hip hop. I was myself and it just really wasn't on our radar um, just for some reason, weird reason. You know, I think that we were too far removed from the scene. You know, we're getting a lot of stuff second and third hand. But, you know, it's one of these things like you'd hear three, six mafia and just hearing it is like, oh, these guys are trying to be Satanists, whatever, you know. So um, but but that's the difference between them and the Gravediggers and Ghetto Boys and other people that were flirting with certain kinds of things. They just seemed like they were straight up. They were 
far into it a lot more than other folks that were just like, oh, let me let me try this little new flavor of hip hop. You know, there was something more. They were more sinister. Also, I think you can't you can't you you can't. Um, <laughs> there were different constituents. Like you have to go back to like Times Square, Forty Second Street, and there were different constituencies that went to the cheap kung fu flicks. We could pay mm -hmm. seventy five cents and hang out there all day, and the ones that went to the horror flicks. You could have Suspiria playing right next door to the Five Fingers of Death, but they were completely different audiences. Mm. You could you could you could feel you could feel that when RZA moved from Grave Diggers onto the Wu Tang, he had a much much more aggressive feel for kind of. The, the the constituency that hung out at Five Fingers of Death. And frankly, I, I was a Five Fingers of Death guy myself yeah. too. I, I, going to horror movies in Times Square just seems stupid to me somehow. I just, the, I, the, the movies, Suspiria, just, I wasn't into, it was it, uh, Gallo, uh, Italian slasher mm -hmm. stuff. I thought it was lame and stupid. So, uh, whereas, you know, Kung Fu, I could take that and apply that in Times Square immediately. <laughs> <laughs> Damn you. <Yeah>. Bastard. <laughs> Yeah. I got to give a shout out to Goblin's soundtrack to Suspiria, though. That is an incredible soundtrack album, and and just the soundtrack of that gave me yes. the creeps. And that's what I like about Three Six Mafia was they caught that oral aspect of the horror movies and the, and the use of discordant sort of classical instrumentation and stuff that they sample. Because when I first heard Three Six Mafia, I wrote them off as just another. Um, Dr. Dre influence type things. I wasn't hearing the scratch and I wasn't hearing the stuff that I wanted to. And so I, I dismissed him. But then uh, my roommate that worked at the record store was just kept bugging me to, to listen to him. And finally I did. And I was like, aha, that, you know, listen to his car on the dark and lonely country road. Then, you know, the hair set up on the back of my neck and I got and, it. And, and that's, and that's where it goes back into me. That's the thing also, when you talk about that kind of primal, you know, reaction to music, right? Like when it goes to like what they were tapping, you go back to back in the day, like Ozzy Osbourne and certain kinds of metal back when there was a flirtation with Satanism, like it was scary listening to that shit, right? And then from the hip hop gangster rap perspective, like first listen to NWA and gunshots on the album, like it, there's a, there's a, there's a, a there is a horror in of itself and a fear that you receive subjecting yourself to that world that you don't get watching movies you know like you're in a certain environment you're listening to it you're absorbed in the world and it just fucks with you as opposed to the whole visual thing i'm watching a movie i'm getting creeped out it's, it's just it just seems so much more real just strangely enough just listening to something and letting your mind follow the 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 stories and the environment that you're being guided down so that's why the radio serial is a lost art. Uh, one thing I thought was cute, though, was when Gangsta Boo uh, was talking and she was saying, I wanted to be as sinister as possible. So I bought that a witchcraft book and that my mama great. kicked me out of the house when she found it. And she put that me out for great. about a week and then I had to burn the book to come back. And that that's the reminder. Yeah. Like these artifacts are created and they have this power. And so you think, wow, these people must really know their stuff. But what they are is talented. And like, it's like, you know, you read about Kurt Cobain, you know, he would talk up some artist or whatever. And then you find out he had just gotten a hold of the cassette and, and read maybe one article about it. But because he was this artist, he could create this world around it. So these kids are just kids in Memphis. I mean, God knows what kind of, what she buy the Necronomicon at, at, you know, B Dalton or something. Yeah, but <laughs> still there's enough. But the thing is, is that and that's the thing with three, six mafia for me, at least, right? Like I wasn't that far removed from going to church uh, you know, Christian perspective. So there's just certain things you don't fuck with, right? So that's why if you deal with buying a book of witchcraft, like the the taboo behind the dark arts is so strong that even referencing certain things that are taboo and have a touch of Satanism and touch of the dark side is enough to freak people the fuck out from you know, a yeah. Christian orientation. <laughs> When I, at a certain point, a friend had just moved out here from Baltimore and we were walking around San Francisco and we happened to walk by uh, LaVey's house, Anton LaVey. And she was like, oh, we should cross the street. And she was really creeped out. I was like, oh, shit, the guy lives here. And then, like, it wasn't too much after that that I had this idea. Hey, you know, I should interview him, <laughs> which, which I did. Which I, uh, yeah, I, I, he's got to know something about evil. And of course, he did, he did not. Uh, he gave me the Lou Reed line, which was like, uh, "Yeah, man, I'm just trying to make the rent. I'm an atheist, you know." So, uh, <laughs> which is 
which is ultimately where you get like everybody's buying that book from the B. Daltons, except for the fact that the very real, I mean, what we forget when we see this documentary from 20 years about stuff that happened 20 years ago, if you follow the news events of the day, there was a satanic death cult in Matamoros. There was uh, um, there was uh, Richard Ramirez. There was a Santeria cult. Yeah, they, yeah, and there was a whole. There's there's been a whole lot of stuff happening in parallel. Faces of death, uh, you know, videos that, that that whole series that that kind of underscored that. Now we can remove it from the context, but that was very very strong back then. And the West Memphis stuff. Three, right yeah. by. Memphis, yeah, exactly. you know, three white kids yeah. just across the river in Arkansas are getting railroaded on yep. seemingly trumped up murder charges because of a satanic panic. So, yeah, I mean, that stuff, it's not like we've gotten past that fear today, but at the time, shit was was, was also scary, for but... me i had people in my family that were actually involved in certain kinds of things i mean when i'm when i brought the the monster manual because friends of mine are playing D, I had an uncle that came over and said let me see this and he looked at i was like i know some of these brothers right here and then he said why don't you go upstairs and talk go upstairs and play and he's talking about there's like he shouldn't be playing with this shit like there are actual entities in here that i do rituals <laughs> with and this is access and some shit you don't want him fucking with. <laughs> yep, yep, the people yep. would disappear. You do rituals and people just disappear. Yeah, those rituals mm -hmm. rituals have numbers connected to them. 45, 38, <laughs> <laughs> nine, nine millimeter. Nine millimeter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so that's kind of the 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 aura of three six mafia. But on the business side, again. I was just blown away by these kids making mixtapes and and they're putting, like he says, you know, when they first put out tapes, they're putting NWA and the hits of the day on there and sneak in a couple of their songs, but pretty soon it's just their songs and they're selling tons of tapes. And he's claiming that he had 200 grand when he was in high school, which I'm sure he had more cash than I had when I was in high school. I mean, that's, that's impressive to me. And it's also something that that era is gone. Like a kid could not do that these days. Like, Why is that, you know, Nate, for those who don't know? The internets. The internets yeah. has killed the music business. I mean, selling artifacts with music, recorded music on it, you can sell that to collectors, but you're not going to get oh, just kids so, so, in so, Memphis. So, so you don't you don't buy Steve Albini's line that uh, it's democratized music and made it possible for people who could never have gotten close to your music before to actually get your music? Oh, it definitely has. I mean, there's there's trade-offs, but the the financial side of it is is much worse for musicians, I think, than than it was then, especially local musicians. And I love the part where he's he's bragging about how there was people in Memphis that wouldn't get a CD player until Three Six Mafia was on CD, like yeah. when it was just them on cassettes. Of course, this is the same guy who concludes the section saying we were the greatest group in hip hop history, <laughs> which that's, that's right. That's right. Yeah. I, I well, found him know. charming though. I liked I liked uh, DJ Paul quite a bit in this. Like the yeah. whole the refined grill he's wearing and everything, and yeah, that sort of his image is always on my fucking Netflix. Yeah. Like I have on my Apple TV. Like when I go by, like his image from Hip Hop Evolution is the one that they've picked for like when you leave the app and like you know you stroll by it for some reason. So he might have influenced somebody. It maybe he has little John ironically is the one that stuck there for me. And so he, he's next. Oh, and one other thing I want to say about three, six, that it didn't make explicit, but that the, they're a perfect bridge between DJ screw and little John, because they're the fathers of crunk. And if you watch interviews with like the East side boys or whatever, they'll tell you three, six mafia was the first crunk group. They didn't brand it crunk as much as they use the word crunk, but they didn't brand their music crunk. Mm. But that's where we were getting our stuff like tear the club up and stuff as a direct antecedent of, of little John's hits. But also they were the ones who popularized screw music with, with um, the scissor song they did with UGK. So they're a perfect bridge there. And also Memphis and Houston for whatever reason have always had a business relationship. Like, B.B. King and Johnny Ace and those guys were on uh, Duke Duke P uh, Peacock Records. I'm getting that fucked up. I can't. Duke Roby. Anyway, there was a Houston entrepreneur who had a record label in Houston in the 50s that, that put out all the Memphis or a lot of the Memphis stuff. And then uh, Eight Ball put out his stuff on a Houston label. So for whatever reason, even though it's hours and hours away from each other and not connected by the river or anything, Houston and Memphis have had this musical connection. But that brings us to Little John. Mr. Punk. And now, Eugene, now you can talk about this connection 
to post well, like, how excited you were. Well, the Rewind it a little bit, and you can hear when I talked about it for a bit. Reminisce. No, no, no. I just, I just like, I like, I like when. What is it, the, the phrase about the uh, true talent will out like, you know, and, and he made the same calculation that like, you know, that everybody made that punk rockers made that he heard when punk rockers made it, which was like, man, I can't I can't play. I can't sing, but I'm a star. <laughs> you know? And he, he did that, I, I can't rap. I can't, I can't, but, but I'm going to dance. I'm gonna, I, I can't dance. I'm going to go out there and do something. And then creating a whole like kind of genre yep. uh, uh, around your extant lack of skill. That's, <laughs> uh, that's actually genius, man. That's this, not the Peter principle where you, you know, you rise to your greatest level of incompetence, but, but, uh, but something else, the little John principle. It's, it's pretty phenomenal if you think about it. Yep. And, and the fact that he did something that like Metallica never did, you know, he just, he, he laid it. He said, I was in the scale. Yeah. I pretty much went, Skateboarding, you know, minor threat, bad brains, little John. <laughs> I mean, which was really cool. <laughs> it made, made, made the old punk rocker me very happy. So, yeah, it's it's funny how the punk rock keeps coming back up in this series because it's not something that you think of as a massive influence on on hip hop. But the thing about little John is he is an excellent producer. I mean, this is the guy who's brought in to produce an Usher track when the record label, you know, when Babyface says, Usher, you don't have a hit on this album or you don't have the first single. So Lil John, obviously, especially in that, two, that Knotts era, the early 2000s, was just owning the charts for a while. Yeah. And, and the and the crux stuff, you know, starts in the 90s and builds up. But plus he was a record label guy. I mean, you know, he's, I, and I can only imagine him as a kid going into clubs with a megaphone and being so obnoxious and, and himself that, you know, the record label guy was like, I want to hire him. Like, this is my street team right here, you know? And, and so then he learns the whole business and signs multiple Atlanta artists. And then he's like, Hmm, I wonder if I can sign myself <laughs> and, yeah. and, you know, does it. Um, and then, you but know, also, the East side, go ahead. But just to, you, you said something I want to jump on there. There's been a long standing connection between, Hip hop and either punk rock or hardcore mm. from 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 the very from the very beginning. Yeah, we old, talked about it the yeah, yeah, first yeah, second episode. Yeah, yeah. So there was something about the the energy too. Can you hear me? Oh yeah, now yeah. we're back. Um, yeah, yeah. So I mean, uh, um, yeah. It's uh, it's when the guy Drew Stone who did some early hardcore stuff, the stuff for Onyx, it's just, it, it's kept, the energy has been very similar. And I think it's because initially it drew from a, a very similar demographic, you know, like teenagers who nobody gave a shit about, so. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and one thing I do want to say, I think they give the East Side Boys short shrift here. They're just, mm. they're on camera briefly, um, but they don't really talk up that it was a group that they wrote the raps. They were writing the lyrics. Lil John was doing the music side and Lil John kind of implies that he was the one writing it all. And when you hear mm -hmm. about like, I watched some interviews with big Sam and stuff. Like he totally wiped his ass with those guys. Like he fired them between two tours that they'd already booked and been planning on making big money on. And I mean, just like cold as ice, just sorry, you're fired. You know, here's a severance package. Ready to sacrifice. Somebody else. Yeah. 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 And so, you know, <laughs> I, I don't know that that's that big to the narrative, but it's something that I felt like mattered and, and should have um, been in there. And that, that's another thing. I, I wanted to bring this up with three, six mafia. Like I sort of mentioned eight ball and MJG and they're on camera, both of them talking about Memphis. And it reminded me of when arrested development was in the Atlanta segment. Like they must go yeah. to town and talk to a whole bunch of people and not tell them, well, yeah, I'm going to, we're going to be talking to you. We're not going to be featuring your band. You know? <laughs> now they're the ones, the funny thing is eight ball MJG. That's the group that I knew and listened to much more than three, six mafia and people that, and yeah. it came from a friend of mine that was from, that was from a humble. Like when he came through, like he was the one who straight up was playing them and, and, and rocking them. And then also you would hear it all from, from time to time, you know, cause New York radio was what New York radio was. You would hear some of their tracks as well once in a while. So, you know, that's, yeah. that was also a surprise and disappointing. They didn't even bother 
to acknowledge mm. the guys that lay it I down. Think, yeah, I think they mentioned them in there once or twice, but not, you know, and I don't know that they had to make the whole thing, but it's kind of interesting that DJ Spanish Fly gets that much love and 8-Ball and MJG doesn't get anything. But uh, back to the crunk thing. Yeah, I mean, crunk is something like, it was so big in the knots. Yep. I just took it for granted. And I didn't really ever pay attention to the fact of, whoa, these guys are not really rapping. They're just yelling chants, you know? I mean, it's it's a it's a real departure from lyrical hip-hop. So when you heard and them say, oh, skeet, 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 you thought they were rapping no or idea. something? I'm just out there joining <laughs> my teammates of the band and, and singing along with no clue <laughs> what they're singing about. That was a great line from Big Sam that they got in there. Like, how'd you know when the white girls showed up showing their titties at the show? like... <laughs> We made it. <laughs> yes, uh, yes, indeed. So you know, and they made it, and then they took it away. So you know, uh, that's they. I don't know. It was also interesting, like that they didn't stick Lil John in with Outcast and and um, the Atlanta episode. You know, mm. that, that they have this, this mm. continuation, but I think it fits because, like DJ Screw and like Three Six Mafia. Southern Labs was the theme of the episode, and Lil John was kind of a wizard in, in his lab, and very different from what Outcast was doing. I mean, Outcast became the kings of hip hop, basically, and Lil John, as big as he was, was oh, I don't want to say a novelty, but he was, and I don't want to say sideshow, but those are the terms I'm thinking of. He was a, a out of the mainstream of hip hop, even when he was as big as anybody yeah. in hip hop. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. am I wrong? Like he's a no, Dave no, Chappelle. No. Bag and and he's a guest I, I, on. I think I think what makes it a little difficult that calculation makes it difficult is separating Andre three thousand and what he became in the mainstream from Outcast. So you know I I would argue that if you look at Outcast as a huge Outcast fan, huge Outcast fan, that Outcast as a group to the mainstream versus Lil John to the mainstream. I think it would be Lil John. I think Andre 3000 to the mainstream versus, I think that's a little more of the, you know, cause I knew a lot so more people. Lil John is bigger. What I'm, yes, cause I, I think that in terms of mainstream and in terms of that kind of, I mean, when you try to think of the, a, a hip hop group that, uh, almost everybody knows and knows a song and can name a song and has the recognition from people who don't listen to hip hop or don't listen to music, you know, that kind of like old school thing where like people would know an artist, even if they don't listen to music or haven't listened to a while. Lil John had that. Like there are people I knew who just weren't listening to music at all that knew who Lil John was and who knew what Yeah was. Well, even yeah. before, yeah, but even the whole skeet, 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 like that, it just, that, it, you know, they didn't know what he was talking about, but they were more familiar <laughs> with that than they would have been an outcast song, not including Hey Ya and Andre 3000. You see what I mean? So that's where yeah, yeah. I would struggle a little bit in terms of outcast as a group versus... <laughs> I'm sorry. I've just, I just keep I keep thinking about the key and peel. No, thank you. <laughs> oh yeah, it's classic, classic. <laughs> big boy and Andre three thousand. And that's the thing too, because I remember when I remember when they had uh, the speaker box, and I was really rooting for Big Boy because I've always felt that Big Boy is very underappreciated mm -hmm. as a lyricist, and you know. Uh, you know, Andre just seemed because of his whole get up and everything was just more keyed into being a mainstream person because he had this Jimi Hendrix kind of out there vibe and he was uh, uh, Erica Badu's uh, uh, baby daddy. You know, like he just there was just he seemed to have that it factor and quality that would cross over, whereas Big Boy just totally was keeping it real within not to say Andre wasn't keeping anything real but like he was very consistent with a certain kind of hip-hop narrative and lifestyle so you know uh, yeah but I, I've, I've always appreciated like cats like Andre 3000 since I was kind of one who just kind of pushed the parameters of what it was okay for 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 black kids in the city to no, be totally no me too I'm not I'm putting it down I'm just saying no no yeah. me too I'm not I'm putting it down I'm just saying yeah. like but but once you saw from the Southern Playalistic album if you saw Andre and you saw uh, Big Boy it's like oh yeah the, you wouldn't think the demarcation but it was very clear at a certain point even when what, yeah. what Andre yeah. was saying what he was trying to do creatively it was very clear to me it was very clear that his ceiling 
Big Boy's ceiling was a hell of a lot lower in the potential in terms of mainstream acceptance and attracting different kinds of people other than hip hop heads. Big Boy's was a lot more limited than Andre. So again, it's not an insult to Andre. It's just, I just think just the way he's creatively built, you know, was just, is just more in tune with blowing up and being mainstream and catching one's eye. Whereas someone like Big Boy and his, his style is not one that would stand out you know, yeah. to people, even within the whole hip hop, you know, uh, community. So again, it's yeah, not a, yeah. it's not in front to Andre. It's just that Andre just has that well, that thing, you know. And also the the thing with Little John that that that's not that, that's a very specific type of 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 hip hop, right? Like I guarantee you, the numbers of people, like you know, I, I live on a weird the neighborhood the juncture is it's like where three streets come together mm-hmm. so i'm always get, getting little dribbles and drabs of what people are listening to when they go by so there's driving music mm-hmm. now that people have these these speakers that they hang around their necks there's walking music and there's like and there's party music and much mm-hmm. like you know like the whole gogo movement where you only really understood gogo if you went to see it live right. i think little john you could hear yeah, it on the radio yeah, and that's fine, you know. That's but I think that that really benefited from a live setting. And absent a live setting, it's not like you want to be sitting around on your couch listening to that shit. I just don't think you you, you would or you do, unless you your reference point or oh, remember that time we saw them live, mm-hmm. you know. So it it was a it was it was niche on niche, um, but whatever. It was it was kind of a cool niche. Well, little John, it was a niche. But it's one that cut through. I mean, like right. the the simplicity of the stuff. Like Big Boy was such an artful lyricist. Mm-hmm. You know, you had to kind of be a hip hop head to to get it. I mean, anybody mm-hmm. can tell. Oh, wow, that guy's talking really fast and on the beat. He's clearly skilled. But to listen to what he's doing and get and get the rap, you have to kind of be ahead. What Little John was doing, anybody could get. Yeah, it's so and that, accessible. I think is kind of yeah, what, kind of why it blew up. So I don't know a fun is, episode. It, I'm really. It, 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 the key to why Chubby Checkers was so popular. Oh, Lil John, the skinnier Chubby Checker. Instead of doing the twist, he was yeah. He was he was he was vertical instead of lateral. Indeed, yeah, indeed. So so that's it for our discussion of Hip Hop Evolution's The Southern Lab episode. Next week we'll be back to discuss season four, episode three, The Super Producers, featuring the Neptunes. Timberland and Missy Elliott, Kanye West, and Jay Dilla. So another fun coming up. Thank you, fellas. We'll talk to you next time. Thank you. Follow the Let It Roll podcast on Twitter at Let It Rollcast and check out our website at LetItRollPodcast.com. Next week, Nate will return with Eugene S. Robinson and Alexi Ald to continue their discussion of hip-hop evolution with a look at the Super Producers, which covers the Neptunes, Timbaland and Missy Elliott, and Kanye West. Let It Roll is a Pantheon podcast, and you can listen to more great podcasts at www.pantheonpodcasts.com. Let It Roll is dedicated to the memory of Edward, Russell Thomas, and Danny Park. For the ones finding new ways to ensure the job always gets done. For the ones wearing many hats. For the ones who are hands-on, even from far away. And the ones keeping business moving forward. We are Granger. Offering professional-grade industrial supplies, plus real-time product availability and access to experts ready to answer your toughest questions. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. With one of the best savings rates in America, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than choosing Slash to be in your band. Next up for lead guitar. You're in. Cool. (laughs) Yep, even easier than that. And with no fees or minimums on checking and savings accounts, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank for details. Capital One and a member FDIC. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 